Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRER. I'm Bobby Howe. And I'm Alex Deering. Hey, Alex. Bobby, how are you? I'm amazing. Good. You want to know why? Why? Why are you amazing? I mean, I can think think of like several reasons why you're amazing. Oh, you're actually being nice. I'm really worried. Why are you being nice? I'm usually nice to you. Mm, All right. So (laughs) this episode's coming out December 15th. Yeah. It's our last episode of the year. Oh. means they're giving us a break for one week this year. Like they do every year. But we get a vacation. Did you know Kip gave us vacations? I didn't know he had paid time off. That's amazing. Paid volunteer time off. (laughs) Not paid. Yep, that's how that works. So <laughs> let's in see. PTO. So, yeah. So <laughs> since the last time we talked, I understand this is December 15th, but since the last time we talked, we've actually celebrated Thanksgiving. So right. how was your Thanksgiving? How was your and we're leading into the Christmas? So how is the holiday season going for you? Yep, it was good. So for Thanksgiving, every year my family um has everybody over. And okay. so I was an only child, so or I am an only child. You were um, like, did something happen at Thanksgiving? No. You're no longer yeah, no, child. no adopted children uh, on my in my parents' family at this point. But I, uh, so I, they they had everybody again over, which is a horrible sentence. Let me say that again. They were able to have everybody over again, as opposed to last year where it was a very small gathering. So this okay. year we were able to have like 22 people at my parents' house for Thanksgiving. And it was super fun. So that was great. Uh, lots of family time. And I like family time a lot, but also after enough of it, you're ready to like come back yep. to work. Yep. So right. it's good to be back. What about you? How was your Thanksgiving? So for the first time ever in giving away my age, 43, I did not spend Thanksgiving with my family at all. Because my dad and stepmom are currently uh, living in an RV on the Texas-Mexico border for a couple months. And uh, they didn't, they were going to come back for Christmas, but they did not come back for Thanksgiving. So that was just different. Yeah. But, um, and we were able to celebrate Thanksgiving at my in-laws because last year um, it was when my father-in-law first got sick, uh, with COVID. So that was a, he had just got sick and we weren't sure what he had, but nobody was going to the house just in case. And then it turned into COVID and then he ended up in the hospital for 19 days, yada, yada, yada. So that all like kind of took us back. Now we didn't have 22 people. There was just eight, I think, I don't know, doing the math. I see a boyfriend showed up with my niece, but there was five of them, three of us to 10 there were 10 of us all together but we went you know the weather was beautiful so we we're outside playing on like the four-wheeler and on the because my in-laws are on a very large farm up in northwest missouri so i mean you just go outside and you don't see anybody else you just do whatever you want to do just run That's around I mean, we could have yeah. run around naked we did not but we could have just saying well uh... <laughs> good oh okay <laughs> when you get up in the farm you can just do whatever you want out there it's fine there's nobody around it's fine sure well the other okay so one other thing about this holiday season is that we are prepping for a baby arrival and so that's fun too yeah so it's uh 
Charlie's more than likely it's Charlie's last Christmas as an only child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's going to be fun. Um, but she's super excited for baby sister to come along. So now have we named baby sister publicly? We haven't named her to anybody other than Sarah and I, we won't even tell Charlie because some of you people, and I say you people, as in my friends that listen to this podcast are so like devious that they will ask my daughter what the baby name is because they know that I will not tell them. And she has no idea. And so I've coached her to say, baby, it's just baby, baby. So yeah, yeah, that's, that checks out actually. We didn't actually land on a name until literally yesterday. Okay. Yesterday was the first time that we finally landed on a name, but we're, we, we, for Charlie, we didn't tell anybody until after she was out and we still won't. Yeah. It's not going to happen again. I don't care about your feedback. I don't want to, I don't want to know what you think. I don't care. And once she's already named what she's going to be named, you're not going to say anything to us about it. And if you do, it makes you a horrible person. So yeah, well, it actually makes them a horrible person if they do it ahead of time, but they still somehow feel more entitled to do it before we didn't tell he was baby how until Alex was born. We, and even though we went with, you know, a fairly normal name, it was like, I don't care your feedback. I don't want to know your opinions. And I don't want to about the horrible human being you knew also named Alex. I don't need to know those stories. I'm that's good. Right. That's how I, that's exactly how we feel. And yeah, yep. That's it. That's it. So anyway, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm what pumped for that. Uh, it's scheduled for January 3rd. So we had to oh. schedule a C-section this time. Um, and so it'll be January 3rd. So you may have the first baby of the new year. I understand a scheduled C-section on January 3rd, but that's real close to December 31st, January 1st. So it's pretty close. It's pretty yeah. close. Plus, you know, I'm kind of rooting for December because there's like tax benefits or something I'm told. So well, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I've always not understood. You're going to get the tax benefits. It's just a matter of whether you get them starting this year or you get them next year and they go one year longer. Like I've, I've never understood that whole like, yeah, it means nothing to me. Plus, I don't really care. It's just, it's a funny thing for people to say to me. They're like, so oh, it's too bad she comes in January. You should make her come in December. It's like, all right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I just want a healthy baby. I don't really care about the tax. I'm not having a baby for the tax write-off. I, I mean, am. Come on. That's why people have babies. Not judging you. It's fine. Uh, look, uh, so my family grew up like my, my dad's side of the family, lot, mm-hmm. big farm family in yeah. central Kansas. And I swear they had like 12 kids per family and they just had kids as farm assets. Yeah. It was like they, they have kids to help with the cows. I don't know. It's crazy. That's actually a thing though. That's, that's labor. Yeah. That's you have children just so you right. have farm labor to keep the farm going and you don't yep. have to pay them. You just feed them. Yep. That's actually a thing. So I have a question for you because with baby being due uh, or scheduled, uh, January 3rd, that falls within the holiday season. Is yep. anyone else in your family or Sarah's family have holidays or birthdays that fall during the holiday season? Not really. No nope. special. Nope. Okay. See between our family, my husband's family, um, there are, I believe eight birthdays between Thanksgiving and my husband's is January 15th. So it's still, but they always feel like they get robbed of her yeah. birthday presents because it falls during the holiday season and people just buy two for one presents. So what are you going to do differently so that baby doesn't feel like it's not fair? 
nothing. I, it I is mean, what it is. One present she done. No, I mean, I'll try to do two, but you know, you can't control what happens after she leaves the house. Yeah. Is, you know, the problem with is. a January birthday is everyone's already spent all their money on Christmas. They have no money left over to buy birthday presents for me. Alex and I are born in September. There's no holidays in September. People just are flush with money. They buy you presents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be She'll fine. figure it out. If no. I'll tell you that if that, if that ruins everything for her, then there's probably other problems. Yes. You know what I just realized? What? I think this is the most non-real estate <laughs> intro conversation we've ever had. Like, really, we're not discussing real estate. I mean, there's a real estate implication to creating and growing your family. Yeah. Well, right. I've got to have kids so that my business can carry on after I die. That's what the farmers taught me. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> Do you really want your daughters to get into real estate, though? I, I can't say that I don't want to, or they will. That's how that always works. So um, there's that. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I pointed this out to, so I'm going to point this out to you because this leads into our guest that we're bringing on today, but I wore a very specific shirt today for our guest and it's my run Chicago shirt. Mm-hmm as I am in support of my dear friend, our dear friend, friend of KCRAR, Tommy Choi. There you go. See, I, I actually have only talked to Tommy like once. Really? Yeah, I think I've only met him one time. So I'm really excited for today. You should be. You so, look, so at these national association meetings, mm-hmm. you guys are always so busy and it's really hard to get any time with you guys to get all of these really important introductions. And right. in fairness, actually, dur- during this last one, I was also, you know, busy. We, I felt very isolated from, from everybody. So, um, so anyway, we, we, I don't get to network as much as I want to when I go to these things. Well, right. Because I mean, I only saw you the one time we were out when you and Angela were out on that walk. And that, that was, was like, an really accident. Happened. Yes. It wasn't even like a scheduled thing. Yeah. Right. So for those who do not know, Tommy Choi is a Chicago realtor. If we've not put all the pieces together yet, Uh, he's in the top 1% of all Chicago realtors. He's a past president of the Chicago Realtor Association, and he has a business that is built um, 90% on referrals, and he's got a great plan. And I love his story of how he got into real estate and just all the success they have had since they came in. He's got an amazing keynote that I absolutely love that we need to bring him back to Kansas City to do. He just did it for the Missouri Realtors. It was in Kansas City, but it wasn't for KCRER. And it's the three lessons I learned from my uh, in life from my dry cleaners. And I won't spoil it, but it's pretty good. It sounds uh, interesting and unique. So, so I'll give you a, a, a fun fact about Tommy and you uh, need to ask him about his Jordan shoe collection while we're Okay. While we're on the podcast today, that's, that's going to be your prep question. <laughs> Tommy. Okay. We won't let him get off the podcast without answering a Jordan shoe question. Jordan shoes and Pearl Jam concerts. Those are actually two very important questions when it comes to discussing Tommy. Those are two ways that we, uh, Pearl Jam concerts. Yeah. Pearl Jam concerts. Yes. You should ask him about that too. It's very real estate related. Yeah. But it's actually well, part of who Tommy is as a human. So it's, it's, it's good stuff. All right. Hey, guess what? Do you have a book bit? I do. You know what? I'm getting better at guessing that. I know you are because you've learned like, hey, when she says that, there's usually <laughs> that's what follows. 
Do 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 do. Bobby's book bit. Casey. All right. So I've actually saved this book bit until we had Tommy on because there's a curse word in the title. <laughs> it's fine. So my book for today is Unf Yourself. And it's a book by Gary John Bishop. And it talks about practical advice about how to get out of your own self-destructive thoughts and take charge of your life by learning how to control them and to motivate yourself for a higher level of responsibility. Basically, get out of your own way. Unf yourself. Okay. So the quote from the book that I love is, you have the life you're willing to put up with. And I've actually had that conversation with several friends lately, and it's whether we're willing to accept a mediocre life or a status quo life, um, because if we are, that's the life we're going to end up living. If we say that's not good enough for me, then we can create a better uh, life for us. So the first life lesson is learn to chase the impossible and seize opportunities outside your comfort zone. And it all comes back to the fact that we need to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. And it, you know, goes back to the idea, dream it, do it, be it or whatever, but it starts with the dream and then becoming that thing that you can dream of. The second one is enjoy the journey as much as you enjoy achieving your goals. And too often we get caught up in the end result, but not enjoying the journey along the way. And that's one of the things that he talks about in the book is really important is that you need to take time to smell the roses, if you will, along the way and find the happiness in the little things that make your journey unique to anyone else's. And then finally, lesson number three, don't blame others for your failures and learn to take responsibility for your decisions. Um, always keep a foot in the past and one in the present and understand that no matter what happens to you, you have some say in everything that happens to you. You're not just a victim. And that is my book bit on F Yourself by Gary John Bishop. I love it. That's great. That's a really good book bit. Now, it, it's not the same guy that wrote the, what, what was it called? What's oh, their, your, your other one? It's the other one. Um, Mark, Mark. Everything is F. Yeah, everything is, everything, everything is F. Everything is F, a book of hope. This is a different book. He, that's the guy that also wrote Subtle Art of Give It. That's um, Mark Manson. That's right. I, might have go. I think that's right. Yeah. For some reason, Mark Ronson is sticking in my head, but I don't Maybe think that's, that's right. it. I don't think that's right. <laughs> Amber's shaking her head. Amber says, Bobby and Alex, shut up right now. Fine. <laughs> Was it? Is it Mark Ronson? <laughs> no, mind. just stop. Just it. Nope. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right. Hey, you know what? We should go get Tommy and bring him on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Sounds Mark Rodson, by the way, is amazing. He is really good. I just don't know why in the world I had that name attached to that book. That's okay. All right. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk brought to you by KCRER. We are here with our guest, my illustrious friend, Tommy Choi. How are you? Uh, first of all, I've never... Um had my name in the same sentence uh with the word illustrious so well, thank you for helping go, me check that box you're like my high fidelity top five list you're like in the top five greatest people of all time so illustrious Ooh. just seems to go right with your name just saying can, can you uh 
share where I fall in that top five and who the other four are? Well, I don't want to hurt a bunch of other people's feelings, but you and no, Maura Neal are currently competing for number one. So Whoa. Just, you're pretty wow. up I'm just saying. Okay, that changes things. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it normally I give a, our friendship 110%. I'm gonna go like 200 percent now. Whoa. Wow. I'm excited about this. All right. So Tommy, now I gotta ask a quick question before we get started. So Bobby <laughs> keeps on referencing her run shirt. Are you a runner as well? Is to say no, no, not so much. You know, the, I don't even run if I'm being chased. I'd rather <laughs> just fall prey and be a victim. Yeah. So no, no, no. It's hard to see, see in video format, but I'm I'm kind of chubby. I like to eat a lot, and you know, in Chicago, we're we're known for world class cuisine and dining. So yeah, don't I don't run. Yeah, it's it's the Chicago flag that's on my shirt. And Amber and yeah. I were having this discussion oh, okay. before you got on, Alex. Tommy, are there any other cities that have their own special flag or is just Chicago just one of a kind? No, I think there are some other cities, uh, but Chicago's flag is pretty legendary. It's pretty legendary. All right. We should probably actually talk about the thing we brought you here to talk about. So, (laughs) Tommy, top 1% of realtors in all of Chicago, just amazing overall human being, blah, blah, blah. Tell us how you got into real estate, how you formed your initial company and what you're doing nowadays. Oh, okay. So that's a lot. It is. So how I got into real estate, it was uh, me getting, being burnt out into, into corporate world. Okay. So, all right, I'm going to tell a quick story. And if it's not quick, I'm going to just depend on you editing out however you need to, but okay. Night before I go to college and Bobby knows this, but Alex and Amber, you might not know, but I'm first generation in this country. My parents immigrated here from South Korea in the seventies. So I was the first person in my family to go to college and the night before my dad sits me down, he wanted to have an expectations talk. I'm like, cool. Okay. That makes sense. And he goes, Hey, listen, your mom and I, we worked our asses off to, you know, be able to provide a college education for you, but you know, we want to set some ground rules. Right. And I'm like, okay, cool. Makes sense. Thank you. They go one, right. Most importantly, our expectation is not for you to learn something in a classroom or from textbooks or your professor, right? There's two things we want you to learn. One, you never lived on your own. So we want you to figure out how to live on your, by yourself, feeding yourself, laundry, all that stuff, right? I'm like, okay, that's easy. Expectation number two, my dad says, hey, you're going to this place called Peoria, Illinois. I went to Bradley University, the Harvard of the Midwest. And He's like, listen, you're going from the most populated urban city in Illinois to central Illinois, okay? When you're there, you're going to meet people from all different walks of life, right? Some kids that grew up on a farm, some kids that had maybe one stoplight in their small town. You're going to meet international students that are leaving their country to come get the best education that they can in the U.S. Amongst these people, though, you're going to meet people who have never met a Korean person before, let alone an Asian person. And then you're gonna figure out there's, they're gonna fall into two different buckets. One, a bucket of acceptance where they're gonna really wanna learn and come from a place of curiosity and find out more about your culture, your background, your upbringing and embrace it. Bucket number two is they're gonna find out people that want nothing to do with you and don't like the differences that you have. 
what I need you to figure out, and I need you to do in four years, because we're not going to pay for any more than that, is no matter what bucket these people fall under, you need to figure out how to be friends with them. And I'm like 17, and I thought this was so weird. I'm like, okay, what a weird, I'm like, sure, weirdo. Like, thanks. <laughs> I'm out. Right. Fast forward four years later, it's uh, two weeks before graduation. Uh, did in four years, right? No victory lap for me. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And I was living in, in a, a rental house, right? Four bedroom house, but there was eight of us living there. You go figure how that works out. <laughs> and every day leading up to graduation, there'd be a knock on the door or doorbell rung. And it'd be someone dropping off flowers, cookie bouquet, fruit basket, right? Balloons. All my roommates were getting showered with congratulatory gifts from their parents saying, you did it, right? And I'm like looking at the flowers, the balloons, cookie, fruit baskets, right? And thinking like, well, one, I'm like, okay, sending fruit is definitely a white people thing, right? Agents don't send each other fruit. But I'm thinking like, hey, where's my appreciation, right? So I pick up the phone, right? Landline back in the day, call my dad. And I tell him, hey, guess what happened today? He goes, what? I got a job. I'm like, he's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, it's a Fortune 100 company called CDW, uh, IT, healthcare, healthcare sales. And they said, if I do X, Y, and Z, within three years, I'll be on the path to making six-figure income, right? And my dad goes like, wow, like, I'm proud of you. And finally, I'm like, there it is. That's all I've been waiting for, right? Hear the P word. And then the pause ends and he goes, I'm proud of you because you're going to know what it's like to work hard for someone else, right? My entire family, all entrepreneurs, small business owners. And at this point, I'm seeing red, right? I'm like, dad, I don't think you get it. This is a worse job recession my generation has faced. All my roommates are going to become, uh, go to law school or, or get their MBA, not because they want to further their education, but because they can't get a job. They're putting themselves into debt. I'm not, right? I'm going to be a taxpayer and goes, I'm proud of you. You're going to know what's like to work hard for someone else. Fast forward four years later, I did X, Y, and Z. I was making six figures, $125,000. Um, and I was 25 years old, I wanna say. It was the last Friday or last day of the month, February, okay? 2006. I was the last person in my office, downtown, 120 South Riverside, across the river from the Lyric Opera House. And the only person there, because that was my biggest sales month ever. And I wanted to see my commission check. Okay. And so I'm there, right? This is the old CRT monitors, right? Bobby knows what those are, the big ass monitors. And as I'm looking at a green screen, I'm hitting shift, you know, F5, refreshing my screen. Finally, my co company intranet, my commission check pulls up, right? It was $30,000. A lot of money then, a lot of money now. But I remember just sitting in my cube, staring at this number just with a blank face, right? I thought I'd be fist pumping and like celebrating, right? Running to the bar. To the right of my big ass monitor, I see a little piece of paper and it had the number $300,000 on it. That was my goal. I had to generate $300,000 of gross profit. We call it GP, right? for my company. And then I got a 10% rip of it. If I did that doing the math, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I made them 270 K that didn't bother me. Right. They gave me a nice office downtown computer cubicle database of clients, a call all good. 
What bothered me was that the piece of paper next to that was a small calendar. And every day, right, I chunked down my goals of how much GP I needed to sell, right? And every day I hit it, I put a little X through it. I'm looking at all these Xs. And it was right around halfway through the month, I start to notice things behind the Xs, okay? The most notable, noticeable one was Jimmy's birthday. Jimmy is like my best friend. I've known him since third grade, right? Spoiler alert, later in life, he'd be my best man and he'd be godparent to one of my daughters. I remember thinking like, holy crap. Yeah, Jimmy's birthday. I didn't remember giving him a call. I don't remember going out to dinner with him, right? Back then in our 20s, we do these like all you can drink packages. You get a wristband and a plastic cup at a bar and like really bad liquor. I'm like, I don't remember doing that. And I start to look and see other things, family events, friends events. I had completely ignored all the people in my life. Everything my dad empowered me to do the night before I went to college, build relationships, that I was on a path to mastery of building relationships. I had foregoed because I was so infatuated with what I thought was success at the time, which equated to what my W-2 said at the end of the year. And in this moment, I had like, I think what like alcoholics call that moment of clarity, where it was like this movie montage of all these weird conversations with my dad. And it all started to make sense. I remember I got so emotional. I picked up my phone once again, landline, called my dad, right? Crying. He thought I was in an accident. I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm just a terrible son. We had this awesome moment where I kind of shared, you know, how much I was, it sucks being your son because X, Y, and Z. And it was a beautiful moment, right? At the end of the conversation, though, he empowered me with a powerful question that just changed the course of where, what my future looked like. Before I hung up, he said, what are you going to do about this? And I remember thinking like, holy crap, what am I going to do? I, I felt like the phone was glued to my head. I couldn't put it down because I knew as soon as I hung up, I had to do something. And what I did was, right, at the moment, right, I thought success was money. And I thought that that would bring happiness. And it clearly didn't. I was miserable and I had ruined a lot of relationship. It wasn't just February. That's what the last like year and a half looked like. And so moving forward, I said, I got to find happiness. And so a lot of people like, how'd you know real estate was what makes you happy? It, it's not so much that real estate, the act of what we do that makes me happy, right? For me, real estate is a stage that we get to stand on every day. And when I'm on that stage, what I get to do is perform to my audience. And what I am performing is the act of building relationships. What my dad empowered me to figure out in Peoria, right? With all these different people from all these different walks of life. And that's what makes me happy. Every day I wake up, I don't care what day of the week it is or how many days away till Friday, because what I'm doing is performing that act of building relationships. And that's how right, Bobby, what you shared with the audience about being a top 10 team, you know, in the city of Chicago out of 19,000 realtors, top 1%, all these accolades that are cool. Um, they're all based on the foundation of relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing I do has to do with real estate, right? Just the platform that I get to stand upon. And so that's how I got into this. It was literally corporate life being miserable and ignoring everything that I was taught to focus on prior to that. Mm -hmm. And Tommy, 
I've always known it. But in this moment, what you just did, you're one of the most amazing storytellers I've ever met. Oh, stop. Because people just, no, 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 no. Because people come in like, what, what's expected is, well, I left the corporate world and I started real estate. I started with my best friend, da, da, da. But you didn't. You engaged us to the point, like I, a lot of times I get lost in stories and I, or not lost in stories, but lost in facts. But you tell a story that keeps everybody engaged and follows along, which is how you build relationships. So one of the reasons people love being around you is because the stories that we can tell later. I'm thinking but, of a particular one, but I won't talk about it right now. Um, yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's the cannoli story, Tommy. <laughs> well, Do so you? here's the power of storytelling, especially in our industry, is that, you know, when we take time to ask someone to share your journey, right? And then in, in uh, you're asked to reciprocate the same and you share your journey with that person. What we find is this, right? We all have walked a different path. There's no one path to success. And just like I said, there's no definition or same destination of what success means to people. But in sharing our journeys, we all walk different terrain. Our backdrops and backgrounds are all different. But when we get to share and listen to each other's journeys, we start to make connections of that, wow, your struggles you face are not that different from mine. And that's where the connections made. And that's when relationships really start to strengthen, right? Because there's commonality, right? And that's what I think we need more of uh, today, but especially in business, right? When I'm in, when I'm in someone's dining room, sitting at the table, talking with them about why they should work with me and listing their home, right? I make it a point to ask them their journey, and I share mine too. And that's where, that's where the magic is, right? It has nothing to do with me being a better salesperson than someone else. It's just making that connection. Yeah. Well, the, we, we talk about, you know, there's different ways that you can get people to work with you. And there's through either manipulations or inspiration. And you inspire that connection between people to have that. So talk to us just a little bit about how you, who you founded your company with initially. It's still with, you're still with yep. him. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still I was here. Say, geez, do you know something I know? Josh, no, it's fine. <laughs> and uh, you guys are still together. And how you, what you built your business on, because your business is based on referrals. So how did yes. you get to that point of having 90% of your business being referrals? Yeah, so my business partner, right? Our team name's Weinberg Choi Residential. And if you, if you don't know, I'm the Choi, although I could be the Weinberg. Um, my partner, our business partner, Josh Weinberg, who's my best friend, uh, we met in college. Right. That was one of the relationships I built. And this Jewish kid from St. Louis, right, who had who had nothing in common with the city kid right from Chicago. We made that connection and uh, he was working out of college. Um, he was he was my roommate. So I bought a condo. He was renting out my second bedroom and he was working for Pulte, uh, which I don't know if you guys have Pulte homes in Kansas City, but, you know, they're a national home builder. And uh, he loved what he did. He just didn't like being restricted in a box, having to call a manager to get a counter offer, right? He wanted to be able to be creative and figure out ways to make this happen for homeowners. So that's when we pow out and said, hey, let's do this together. Um, and we started our own brokerage at the time, Weinberg Troy Realty, fast forward to today. Now we have a Keller Williams Market Center, but we still sell as a team as Weinberg Troy Residential. And as you mentioned, right, that uh, for the last uh, 15 years, we fluctuate from 89 to 91% referral-based business. We've never paid 
for an online lead or anything like that. Not that it doesn't work. It's once again, right? I sought out happiness and happiness was not online leads, you know, Fizbo's expired door knocking that works. And I know people that do at a high level, but for me, it was, I wanted to build on relationships, continue to do what my dad empowered me to do. So for us, that high referral rate is really based on converting the mindset from, you know, homes to people, right? We are in a people business. And what I mean by that is, you know, here's the foundation of our, our business, right? When I meet, you know, Alex, if when I meet you for the first time, right, because Bobby says we have to meet, I look at you as an ATM machine, okay? Meaning this. And by the way, for any, you know, younger millennial or anyone born in the 90s, an ATM is like a brick and mortar Venmo or a cash app, right? Oh. It's a physical place that you go to. Yeah, exactly. Put a card in. <laughs> but what I mean by that is that why you look like an ATM machine, Alex, is that when you go to an ATM machine, right, you really have two action items. You can either take money out, make a withdrawal, or you can make a deposit and put money in to your account, right? Same thing with human relationships. When I meet you and I've identified that you're not a jerk and you're someone that I want to have in my life, I have two options right there. I could either make a withdrawal from our relationship and ask you for something and take, right? Maybe it's a referral. Maybe it's another connection. You're selling your real estate, your property, or I can make a deposit into your life and provide value, right? There's no right or wrong. One of my favorite books by Adam Grant, Give and Take, gives you a, a deep look into the psyche of a giver and a taker. And, and one is not better or worse than the other, but it's important to understand the mindset. I lead with deposits. Why is that? Well, part of it is this, right? You, you need, right? What happens when you make too many withdrawals from your account, right? <clears throat> Eventually, the ATM machine is going to say NSF, insufficient funds, because you have nothing left to draw upon. Same thing with relationships, right? When you take and take and take, eventually there's nothing left in that relationship to take. And we know we all have those people in our lives, right? How do you know? Because when they call you, you hit that button straight to voicemail, right? It's like, oh God, what does Bobby want, right? Another podcast, right? Straight to voicemail. And it's tough because once you get to that point in a relationship, it's very hard to come back out, right? And so for me, I like to make deposits, right? To build up our relationship, right? Our reserve. And on top of that, when I'm ready to make a withdrawal, I'm not just taking like 20, 40 bucks out of this, our relationship, our account. I'm maxing out the daily limit. And the beauty in this is that you've given me permission to do that because I provided so much value right? Into our relationship. Then that's the thing, right? My biggest pet peeve when I meet someone new into this industry and they're told like, do this, do that, do this. And they're like all nervous and scared. Right. And they're told like, you know, ah, you know, I, I should pick up the phone and call this person and ask for this and whatnot, but they're hesitant. It's not because they're afraid of making calls or communicating with people when it comes down to it. People are, are thinking, 
well, why should I ask them for something when I've done nothing for them? And that's a very important feeling to acknowledge. Some people will make you sweep that under the rug and say, well, you're in sales, so you better get over it. No, that's bullshit. You got to acknowledge that feeling, right? Because that's a real thing. And that's where my hack is then figuring out ways to make deposits into their lives, right? And deposits aren't like showering them with these monetary gifts. It's like what we talked about earlier, taking time to ask them to tell their story, right? And figure out ways to make that connection. Can I tell you a really powerful um, deposit? And this will give you a good example. So when I meet with people, I uh, the conversations I have, right? I follow something that I think a lot of people follow, the Ford model, F-O-R-D. What it stands for is family, occupation, recreation, dreams, okay? That's my, that's my, um, my, my outline, my framework of a conversation I'm going to have, right? I'm going to ask like, hey, you know, are you in a relationship, married, do you have children, pets, whatnot, right? What do you do for a living, right? Oh, do you like working there? How long have you been in that industry? You know, what do you do for fun? Where do you like to travel? What'd you do this weekend, right? Oh, you like hiking? What, what's your like, what's your uh, bucket list mountain or hike you want to do? Where, where's the place you want to visit the most, right? You follow this and you write, you take these notes down and, and the answers they're giving you are basically deposit slips saying like, Hey, here's how you can make a deposit, you know, in, in my life, whether it's a connection, whether it's, it's a little bit of an encouragement. So there's a gentleman I met with, um, probably seven years ago. His name is Mark, Mark P. And we're, we were having this conversation first time I met, uh, and he had just bought a house too. And he, his, one of his ultimate dreams, right? He loved traveling. What he wanted to do one day was rent an RV and drive to every national park west of the Mississippi. And I'm like, wow, great. That's so cool, right? Took that down. And so how would I make a deposit from that conversation? Well, I went on Amazon. I found a small toy matchbox RV car that cost me, I think like $1.50 sent it to me, wrote a nice little handwritten note with the car, letting him know how much I was uh, grateful for that conversation with him. And here's a little you know, motivation for you to go on your trip one day. Fast forward, the pandemic, just like everyone in the world, renting RVs. He rented an RV, him and his family, and they went to every national park. And at every national park sign, he stopped, took my car out, took a selfie and sent it to me, okay? That deposit, that $1.50 I spent, right? Meant so much to him because it showed that I listened and I cared and I was rooting for him. Since that time, seven years ago, he's referred 15 clients to us that have closed. He is still yet to sell his home. I know when it comes time, he's gonna call me, right? But that's the power of relationship and making deposits and listening, right? Impactful deposits that this person who has no track record of what it's like to work with me has referred 15 people that are important to him in his life. And they've all become buyers and sellers that our team has helped out, right? That's fun. That's why I wake up with a smile on my face, right? It has nothing to do with real estate. When Josh and I goal set, which we did a couple months ago, 
we're not looking at, we know we are converting 12% of our database. So we're not looking at next year, okay, if we want to sell $200 million in real estate, we need to find 40 more homes to sell. We just know we, we're 110 people away from getting to that goal. So now we're focused next year on meeting 110 new people, right? To make deposits into. That's it. It's a people business, right? Tommy, you've given us just like a ridiculous gold mine of, <laughs> of, of suggestions, of mindset work in this, uh, in this episode so far. I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I really hope that people take the opportunity to listen to this. I know that I'm going to like require my people to hear this. There's so many things that you just said <laughs> that I have had, uh, you, I've had a difficult time putting it into to words. The idea that you should listen to your gut when something's telling you that you maybe shouldn't call and make that ask, it, it, that's so important. Because you're right, especially in our industry, we're told over and over again, make the call anyway, make the call anyway, you got to make your calls. Some people are giving people quotas on, on this kind of stuff. It, it, the way that you put this into words, uh, really, uh, it's going to be helpful for me as a, as a manager. Uh, and I know it's going to be helpful for our listeners too. So, so thank you so much for, for being here. We didn't even have thank to you. ask you really any questions, <laughs> I, but I've got a question really quick because I'm mm -hmm. told that it's a really important one to ask. My understanding is that you enjoy wearing Air Jordans at Pearl Jam concerts. So can you kind of fill us in on the I, Air Jordans and Pearl Jam? I've never been able to like, is there a connection there? So, so it depends on what the weather is like, whether I'm going to wear Air Jordans to the Pearl Jam concert but no, those, those are two things that I love, right? In my, in my, uh, in my world, right? One is uh, I, I have 97 pairs of just uh, Jordans, okay? And um, so here's the thing, okay? I'm an avid uh, gym shoe collector. In Chicago, we call it gym shoe, right? So sneaker, you're going to be like, oh, a tourist, right? Gym shoe, if you want to fall under the radar of, of a local Chicago, call them gym shoes. Um, it, so, so it goes beyond, um, for me, collecting shoes. It's not a vanity thing. Okay. I'm going to tell a quick story and you can cut this out if we go over, right. Cause it has nothing to do with real estate, but love of shoe. And not many people know this, but, uh, the 96, no, uh, sorry, 93. Okay. Um, Michael Jordan came out. I'm a Chicago kid, right? So the 90s Bulls were just like, I was infatuated with, still am. But the shoe he wore was the Jordan Sixes, okay? The sixth iteration of his shoe. And the color that it was called, right? Nike, marketing geniuses. It was basically white, neon, orangish pink with black, but they called it infrared. That was the colorway. So Jordan six infrareds. I remember as a kid seeing that my jaw dropped to the ground. I was like 10 years old. I'm like, what the hell is that? I need those. Begged my parents for them every day. And, and in true immigrant fashion, they didn't even acknowledge my existence, let alone asking that question. And then finally, after asking so much, my dad one day actually acknowledged me and goes, how much are those shoes? Right? Because all my friends had them. And they were 125 bucks, right? Which back then, 
that was a lot of money. Still today, they're a lot of money. It's crazy that they're now like 200 bucks retail, right? When shoes, Jordans are dropping. They haven't changed that much. My dad looked at me and didn't even say anything. I knew it was a no, right? And so I just kind of hung my head, said whatever I tried. And then he said, hey, do you want to know how much $125 means to our family? I'm like, sure. I don't know. Because that's how much we spend a month in groceries to feed all of us. My grandparents were living with us too. So I'm like, okay, I get it. Never asked about it again. Fast forward Christmas that year, I have one present under the tree, right? It looked like the form of a shoebox. I remember going to open it, thinking like, is this what I think it is? I opened the top of the box first because anyone that knows, right? Jordan's come in a box where the top of the box is all black and there's a red Jumpman logo in the middle. So I ripped open carefully the top first. I see it's all black. I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. Don't believe the box. That's what we say in our family. Go towards the middle and I see the red Jumpman logo. And then I just rip open the thing. I open the box take out the tissue, it was black tissue. And I look, it was the infrared Jordan sixes. I remember I couldn't believe I was in my house holding these shoes. And then I was reminded that this object that I was holding my hand was equivalent to one month of groceries for my family. And my parents worked their butts off. So I remember putting it back into I didn't even put them on. I put them back into the box, put the tissue back on nicely, gently, closed the box, slid the box to my dad. I said, you can take these back. I remember my dad looking at me and saying, once these go back, there's no changing your mind. And I said, okay. And then I excused myself, went to my bedroom, slammed the door, jumped under my bed. I was bawling, right? I was so pissed off at the situation. But after I was done crying, that 10-year-old me had this moment where I promised myself, right, that whatever I did growing up as an adult, right, for work, that I would never put myself in a position where I had to choose between shoes and food. And that was my motivation. And so fast forward, 97 pairs later, they're just a reminder for me of, for me of the promise I made with my 10-year-old version, right? And so that's why I'm so obsessed with them. Of course, I love wearing them. I'm into fashion and everything, but it's not just a vanity thing. It, it's my reminder of why I do what I do, right? To honor, honor that. And then Pearl Jam just, I've seen them live 70 times. My favorite band in the entire world. Show 71, two and three was last year, but obviously, you know, a global pandemic got in the way of that. But anyway, that's my story. <laughs> All right. So Tommy, my last question that I always ask everyone before they leave us is what else? What else should I have asked you about? What else should we be talking about? What else? I don't know. I feel like I, I've, I've, um, this was like story time with me and I like uh, cannibalized this entire conversation. So I think you, everything you asked was I'm appreciative of you wanting to know uh, and you all thinking that your listeners will want to know. Um, So I I don't know that there's anything else that, uh, you know, you could have asked me. 
Well, I mean, there but, is. But, but when there is, you know, I'm an open book. So, mm-hmm. well, I have a feeling we're going to have you back because we have a, I, mean, I just even know all of the things that we could else, what else we could be talking about, but we would have be here for another hour or two or three. So Tommy, thank you so much for your time today. We are so appreciative of you taking time to be with us and um, you're a friend of the show. Welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Thank, thank you, Tommy. Tommy.